Dalton takes a shotgun snap. Quick throw. Nice. Caught by Get Green. It, it is a yeah. touchdown. Adriel Jeremiah Green. Hello and welcome to episode 105 of... <laughs> That's a bit too over the top, I think. <laughs> <laughs> you carry on. <laughs> you think so? I quite enjoyed that. All right. Well, there we go. There was a there was a sprightly introduction for you, perhaps a bit too over the top. Uh, just a little insight as to what goes on behind the mic and pre-editing. This is Cincinnati, the Bengals UK podcast. You're very welcome. Uh, on the Monday after the Sunday before another heartbreaking loss, 37-34 in the Battle of Ohio. The Cleveland Browns sweep the Bengals this season, and my name's Paul Hirons. Welcome to the podcast. We have got Dan Horde, uh, the uh, fantastic uh, play-by-play announcer and podcast host, and uh, generally Mr. Bengals. Uh, Dan's coming up later. That's his second appearance on the show. Uh, looking forward to speaking to him. But in the meantime, joining me... On the other end of the internet telephone, it is Nathan Palmer. Hello, Nathan. Good evening, my son. Um, another, like you said, these these games this season have been tight, haven't they? Every single one has been a real nail biter either way. Um, and they always make for a good chat on a Monday, don't they, my son? They do indeed. We've uh, managed to sleep on it. The raw emotion of losing uh, again in such heartbreaking fashion. Uh, is kind of, uh, I don't know, it's kind of slightly less raw, I think, than if we were going to do this on a Sunday night. Goodness me, imagine that. But um, what are your thoughts now, Nathan? How are you feeling? It's really funny. I, obviously, after the loss, as I imagine everyone was, that you're feeling frustrated and, you know, no one likes losing. And obviously, we've lost a lot. But it was interesting that, I do that poll every week after the loss and whether it's Zach Taylor should be gone, should, does he need more time, should he just stay? And it's very interesting that this week his numbers actually improved, I think, by about 5%, yeah. um, that people wanted him to either have more time or to stay. And I think it was, a, as much as it was obviously heartbreaking loss, the offence played so well yesterday I mean, you couldn't have asked for much more of them. They were absolutely no. fantastic. That I think people were like, he called a good game. We did lose. Obviously, there's questions on the defence that we'll get to. But as much as I'm annoyed and you don't like losing, there's obvious positives that you've got Joe Burrow. He's phenomenal. He had the last two weeks before today, he had slightly two of his weaker performances, shall we say. But then he just rolls out 400 yards, a rushing touchdown, just looks like an absolute certified pro bowler on the field. So as much as you're frustrated and we do need to start winning some games, there's no doubt about that. I think all Bengals fans are sat there confident in the future, which is important. Absolutely. And Joe Burrow, of course, 35 of 47 for 406 yards, three touchdowns and unlucky interception, you've got to say. And as you say, nine, uh, sorry, six attempts rushing for 34 yards and a touchdown. One of those, a crucial 
uh, third and long, I think, and he went for a quarterback sneak up the middle, which was just an incredibly gutsy play call. I'm not sure whether it was from Zach or whether, once again, Joe kind of saw something and audibled and off he went. Uh, he just looked, I don't know, brilliant, absolutely brilliant, just super accurate, super gutsy. Um, he's obviously learning, I think, as well. I think a couple of the sacks were on him yesterday. Um, but, you know, you can't fault his accuracy. He looked good in the pocket. And that's the thing, he did have a bit of a pocket yesterday, which was, I think, one of the There was so much that went on in that game yesterday. It was just, I mean, objectively speaking, it was a brilliant game to watch. Two quarterbacks absolutely at the top of their game. Certainly, Baker had a bit of a nightmare first quarter, didn't he? But then... He really kind of settled in. No, you know, not least because he wasn't getting pressured at all. But um, you know, just two quarterbacks, toe to toe, two offenses up and down the field. Brilliant to watch. Brilliant defensive play occasionally, mostly from uh, the Browns. It has to be said. Yeah, great plays on both sides of the ball. Great catches. Great runs. Great bits of tackling, interceptions, touchdown catches drama you know he really did have it all what a game what a game and I, like you say it was you just knew as soon as it got to that fourth quarter it was gonna be squeaky bum bum time wasn't it absolutely to go back to what you said a few weeks ago on the podcast which i thought really stood out and is exactly yeah. um how i feel at the moment when joe burrow drops back and that ball comes out his hand and the screen pans very quickly to the left or right and the ball's in the air. You just have that confidence, don't you? You just have that confidence that he's making the throw. There's a couple of... I think the first drive yesterday of the game, when it was like mm. a third and 12, and he hit Mike Thomas. Yeah, and, that was brilliant. Yeah, you just, you just have so much confidence in him. And the Bengals are going to be a fun team to watch, because he's going to be the quarterback here for the foreseeable. And there are... Uh, T. Higgins, like I've said a few times, is such a good weapon that's only going to get better. He had a bit of a quiet first half yesterday that came into the game in the second half. The Bengals are going to be really, really good on offence because Joe Burrow is that... I mean, as a rookie, I don't think I've ever seen a guy just look more... Com like, just composed and leading the team. And yesterday, he had three guys go down on the offensive line. Didn't phase him. He was better in the fourth quarter than the rest of the game when those guys went out of the lineup. So... Just enormous potential. I, I mean, if he builds on this, which he will, there's very rarely a rookie quarterback's ever playing at their peak. He's got a bigger ceiling than this, and it's going to be so exciting to see how that sort of transcends in years to come. Absolutely. But I want to pick up on something that you said there. I think the offensive line and actually the guys that came in to deputise for Jonah Williams, Trey Hopkins, and um, who else went out? Bobby Hart in the end, didn't it? Bobby Hart, yeah. I mean, those guys that came in did a tremendous job, I have to say. Yes, there was a few muffed um, snaps, which you kind of expected when a new centre comes in. And one of those muffed snaps was almost a touchdown. Um, you know, when AJ caught it in the end zone and Denzel Ward made that unbelievable play to knock it out of his hands. Um but, you know, I thought the offensive line did okay last night. And, again, that's all we've been asking for 
we want them to be just about competent because it, it just shows you what can happen when when Joe Burrow has got a few extra seconds in that pocket. Um, so I have to say they 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 did great uh, yesterday. Their grades have been really good as well. I think today Bobby Hart came out with like an eighty plus grade, which is fantastic. I think. Um, Michael Jordan as well scored very, very highly, which is fantastic to see a young guy like him making some progress. The offensive line, at the start of the season, everyone was furious about the line and how can we run behind this line? How can Joe Burrow, he's going to get hurt, etc. But you have to give credit where credit's due. They've been better in the last couple of weeks, whether that's coaching, whether that's just um, experience, I don't know. But absolutely, they've certainly, certainly been better, especially in the past game. Um, giving Joe Burrow that extra bit of time. Bobby Hart, 83, according to PFF. Bobby Hart, 83.6. Michael Jordan, 75.3. Jonah, 68.3. Redmond, 62.1. Hopkins, 60.9. Billy Price, uh, 60.4. Fred Johnson, 42.5. Now, uh, Bobby Hart was the highest graded. Uh, Something that I never, a sentence that I never thought I'd actually utter on this podcast, but Bobby Hart was the highest graded offensive player on the Bengals last night. Um, so, you know... If we originally said... The, let me just tell the fans this, right? <laughs> to set this record straight once and for all, right? Yeah, yeah. We said we'd do a naked podcast yeah. if, right, it was Bobby Hart or Alden Tate went to the Pro Bowl. They were the two ifs. And I'll tell you what, Bobby Hart might even have a chance to waste Gan these last couple of weeks for the real deal. Like It was always a bit of a laugh about two years ago, but I'm not saying Bobby Hart's going to the Pro Bowl. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. But, you know, it's mad that he's leading the Bengals in it on his PFF grade, if you you believe those stats. Well, it is, because when you see what Joe Burrow was like yesterday, I think the sacks and the interception knocked his grade down. Tyler Boyd, 11 catches for 101 yards. What a season he's having. AJ, so consistent. Oh, really is. AJ Green, another good game yesterday. 7 for 82. T Higgins, 5 for 71 and a touchdown. Geo, 5 for 59 and a touchdown. That that kind of touchdown with a minute to go. What an insane little motion he ran to kind of open up the, the space and to make that extra couple of half a foot which was needed to get into the end zone. Thomas, he stepped up well yesterday, didn't he? Oh, Gio had a great game, and and not just as we were saying, not just uh, running the ball, which you know he didn't have. Again, they they had a tough game running the ball. Gio thirteen carries for thirty seven, so nothing to write home about. But um, what I liked about Zach's play calling yesterday was with the amount of screens. I mean, I don't think I've seen a Bengals offense in a decade. Uh, pull off those kind of screens so successfully, you know. I always sort of, going back to the Dalton era, they could never do screens successfully. Occasionally something come off. But yesterday, they were using the screen game a lot more, which, of course, is an extension of the run game um, because, you know, carrying the ball, they just couldn't get much going. So they decided to go the screen game, and it worked. Drew Sample caught some balls uh, yeah. screens. Tyler Boyd did a bit of hokey cokey and 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 kind of that, yeah. did that kind of weird what screen he threw to Geo. I was I was like loving it. This is great, Zach. This is the kind of, That's innovative, the sort of innovation you want to see. Absolutely. Isn't it? This is the one. This is the thing that we thought we might get with Zach, but um, mm. 
Now, I don't know whether it's desperation or kind of it's taken a while to get there. But, I mean, the offence was kind of purring yesterday and it was great to watch, wasn't it? It was really good. Um, it's the best offensive game we've had since he's been coach and probably yeah. in the last two to three years. I can't remember a Bengals offence that potent as they were yesterday. Just scoring at will. Kevin Huber didn't punt yesterday. Um the, the only the only criticism I'd have is we can't get the run game going on its own. Yeah, that's the only thing. And if you can pass it as well as you can yesterday every game, then don't worry about it. But it would be nice to have some balance. I mean, I think we I checked today we're second worst in the league in average yards per rush. Mm. Now, like I said, if you're throwing it as well as Joe Burrow is, then you can get away with that. But It'd be nice to have some balance to be able to really effectively set up that play-action game because Gio was okay yesterday. He's great at catching the ball at the backfield, blocking, as you said, but I'd just like us to be able to pick up those hard yards on the ground. Um, and that's what the one thing I think we have struggled with a bit this season is to get the rushing game. Apart from that massive game mixing out against the Jags, yeah. it's been a little bit pedestrian um, across the board there. So yeah. I'm not sure if those run blocking grades are a bit lower than the passing ones. Or I think they are. Um, generally speaking, this season the pass pass protection, yeah. which again doesn't quite make sense when you look at how many times Burrow has been hit. Uh, but I guess demonstrates also uh, that it's not always the offensive line that's at fault with these pressures and hits and sacks it's perhaps joe boy holding on to the ball too long it's perhaps a breakdown in protection um you know the running back not doing his job but yesterday geo on blitz pickups and blocking was i mean he was he was chip blocking miles garrett you know what i mean he Gio, that was a really uh, that one they showed on camera was such a good play yeah, where yeah. he just knocked Garrett back enough for enough time to someone to get out and make a play. Yeah, really smart. He just takes all the momentum out of his pass rush. Yeah. So I mean, we're talking as though they won the game, and uh, you know <laughs> they probably should have done, but they didn't. That I think this is the thing. I'm I'm going to say it out now. I'm gonna I'm still behind Zach. Um, I still he's shown me just about enough to be on board still. Um, but. You've got to turn these close defeats into victories soon because, you know, if they if it hasn't already, which it has for a lot of people out there, m even more people will um, start to lose faith and lose patience because uh, there's only so much of this fans we could take. It's, it's like going on a roller coaster every Sunday afternoon um and again you know what i think you mentioned it yesterday situational football and i'll throw in another uh, adjective in there complimentary football as well we're just not getting it we're not getting a complete game i think we said this last week you know on on both sides of the ball at the same time one week the offense is brilliant and the defense is terrible the next week the defense is good and the offense is terrible we need it to all come together soon really we need some geezer to make a big play to win a game for us, to just give us that belief. Because Cleveland, this team, I can't believe I'm saying this, this year they're a good team. They're 5-2. and two. And if you could have beaten them yesterday, if you just if someone like Carl Lawson just steps up yesterday, strip sacks Baker Mayfield, someone falls on the ball when you win the game, where they're sort of playing with a minute left on the clock, no timeouts, 
just a big play, an interception maybe. You know, maybe Darius Phillips snags one in the end zone when they're throwing it to Peoples-Jones and we win the game. Just something there that gives the players a belief because beating a good team like the Browns or the Titans or the Steelers in the next two weeks, that's what gives the team belief. And everyone loves what's coming out of Zach's mouth. He talks so well. He should run for president again because he talks <laughs> such a good game. But he just, he's got, he's got to back it up with some substance. And that's, I think, what's angering people is there's some great chat. A lot of the players this week, which to their credit, have backed that publicly. Now, they're probably not going to say anything else than that. But I thought that when Dunlap was doing all this funny stuff and it was all bubbling up a bit behind the scenes, and obviously after what Elise said last last week, it, you started to panic a bit that the locker room might be completely gone. But... There's some smart leaders on that team, like Gio, came out after the game yesterday, very much standing behind Zach. So's Joe Burrow coming out and publicly sort of saying he called a fantastic game yesterday. And I think even after a crushing defeat yesterday, which it absolutely was, the, the whole mood feels a little bit more positive because I think you can see the potential there, um, which I, which is good, you know, because I think we needed something. Um after what's been a bit of a turbulent last couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, I mean, the defence was there. All to I wasn't actually surprised that the defence played like that because it was kind of a carbon copy of last week. They started off very well, getting some penetration. They were they were filling their gaps nicely. They were tackling well, apart from, I think, one, uh, maybe Kareem Hunt run in the... Or even, no, was it Catcher Jarvis Landry? I can't remember. Um Defence was playing pretty well, and they were getting a little bit of pressure on Baker, enough for him to be slightly rattled. And that's all you need with someone like Baker Mayfield. The, the guy's made of, you know, sugar, basically. You kind of get a little bit close to him, and he just sort of collapses, really. Um, but then the second half came. Well, actually, they started to move, didn't they? That last drive of that, that second quarter when Cleveland scored, they sort of moved the ball with ease, actually. Uh, and you kind of thought, right, here we go. Adjustments need to be made. Cleveland made some adjustments, uh, like Indianapolis did last week, and we just could, we just didn't have any answers at all. Um, but I was kind of expecting uh, no pressure again because you're without, you know, you're playing with half a Geno Atkins at the moment. Not quite sure what's going on with Geno, but we're assured by people like Dave Lapp and whatnot he's still coming back after his injury, so he's not. 100% really Dunlap is Dunlap and we'll get on to him in a second um, you know DJ Reader's out William Jackson was out yesterday that was a huge loss I think Yeah. can yeah. you imagine William Jackson on Rashad Higgins he's not catching as many balls as he did because Higgins really you know turned the game for them yesterday he caught some terrific catches um, but he's not catching half of those balls with William Jackson out there there's no way um, so I expected to be chewed up a little bit on defence, but it is just so maddening and infuriating. Lots of chatter whether Lugo's too uh, passive when they've got a lead, uh, not aggressive enough. He goes into these soft zones, should be playing more man. Uh, there's no real sort of blitz packages, you know, to designed to create pressure when... Plainly, we haven't got any real pass rushes out there. Um, so something needs to happen because, um, as you said earlier, the offense is kind of doing everything. You score 34 points 
against you know whoever and you kind of expect to win a game really with that amount of offense generated and those points generated and then you know the the defense is just a horror story they're just failing to adjust to the adjustments i think and and frankly i don't think they've got the personnel to do that at the moment really no, they've been decimated, especially on the line. Sam Hubbard's out at the moment. DJ Reader, who's the best player, arguably, on the entire team, certainly on the defence, is out. Um, Trey Waynes obviously hasn't played this season, which has been a shame um, in the secondary. And as, as you mentioned, Jackson was out. So you are almost playing half a unit there. And I do sympathise with Luana Rumor. I'm not saying that, you know, that's an excuse for the Browns hanging 37 points on us without Odell Beckham, without Nick Chubb. It shouldn't be happening, especially at home. But I do think that it's a hard task with that team. There's a lot of guys there that haven't played a lot of football that are either sort of coming back from injuries, using Gino as the example, and obviously the personal decision, personal issues or whatever you want to call them with Carlos Dunlap um, there. You look at that line in terms of the pass rush, the only guy really that's making any inroads this year is Carl Lawson. And he's out of contract at the end of the year. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that. Um, I'll be surprised if Dunlap's here next week, let alone next season. Well, do you want to talk about Do you are... want to talk about Carlos now then? Um, you said that. Yeah. What are you expecting? Because yeah. it has been a turbulent couple of weeks and... After last week's podcast, you know, when Elise kind of said there's like serious disharmony in the dressing room and yada, 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 I think our first reaction was like, oh, God, how embarrassing, you know, goodness me, only, yeah. only yeah. the Bengals and most of the people as well. But once you sort of, as the week went on, you saw various other reports coming out, it was plainly obvious that the people that were moaning were kind of a handful of people um, who are publicly moaning about their roles or whatever. Uh, it wasn't the whole team. And certainly, as you say, yesterday, um, and, and also they were Marvin's men, Marvin's guys, right? So you can understand in any transition of new coach and all the rest of it, there's there's bound to be people who are top dog with the previous regime, not very happy about the new regime's opinion or changes they want to implement, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. So I think that's only natural. That probably happens in every sport, sporting locker room the world over. We've seen football players come out and moan about their roles because a new manager's come in and he's not playing him in the position that he likes or whatever. It happens all over the place, all over the world, in every single sport. I don't think I've seen someone as petulant and as unprofessional as Carlos Dunlap do that. I, don't, I really, genuinely, yeah. I don't. I think the last time there was a problem like this on the bank, I don't care about Darius Phillips. He can tweet all his whiny, cryptic stuff he wants because, frankly, he's not amazing. Until and until he is amazing, I'm not taking too much notice of it. Um, you know, but Carlos Dunlap has been a great player, right? We've all loved Carlos. He's been on this show a couple of times. He's a real fan favorite. He's a he's a pro bowler. He's one of the best defensive end in pursuit I've ever seen on a football field. He's that athletic. He is the master at uh, pass breakups and tipping passes. Don't think I've ever seen yeah. a defensive end as good as him. And I think those stats bear out uh, across the NFL. He's two sacks away from the uh, 
the franchise sack record. There's no, absolutely no question that he has been an, a brilliant, brilliant player for us. Um, but the fact is, he has regressed over the past couple of years. We have heard whispers that, you know, uh, how shall I say this? There's a lot more going on and has been going on in the dressing room that, than that has ever been reported. And of course, when you're a winning team, those sort of things get swept under the carpet and you can kind of move on because, hey, we're winning. It's all cool, you know. But once yeah, you're losing, exactly. this stuff gets amplified. Um, so, but I don't, I think the last time the Bengals had a serious, serious fallout, uh, I'm not going to count Cordy Glenn. That wasn't really a serious fallout. That was a fallout for sure. Um, but it was Carson Palmer. And Carson Palmer had beef with Mike Brown, not the coaching staff. Um, but I, I, I can't remember a player of the Bengals having so much beef with the coaching staff. And I, I think it's really unprofessional. This sort of stuff should be kept in-house. You know, him tweeting out or Instagramming out kind of whiteboards with defensive plans on and all the rest of it is you know that's almost like finable suspendable stuff you know what i mean uh i want to i, I, I want to know who's i want to yeah. know who's advising him because he's not putting him if he wants to get out of cincinnati which is quite obvious he wants to get out really badly and someone's obviously told him look you know start stirring the pot and start tweeting and all the rest of it because that's the way you're going to engineer a move um, that might actually end up harming him, you know. I just think it's a great shame because I say you can love Carlos, you can love what he's achieved and done for the club. He's also been fantastic in the community with his anti-bullying uh, campaign. He was, I believe, the Walter Payton Man of the Year a candidate for the Bengals a couple of years ago. So you know, there's he's great. He has been great, but I, I know a lot of people. Have, this is kind of you know tarnished his legacy a little bit this carry on and for him going on instagram live last week uh, and just eating crisps for 20 minutes it was ridiculous his tweet about you know selling his house was a bit an insulting to his teammates who just put everything on the line to try and win a game um i don't know man i mean See, there are a lot of people out there that are on his side and kind of blame the coaches and say, well, you know, what do you expect if it's a dysfunctional dressing room or dysfunctional coaching staff? What's he going to do? And I would say he's the only one that's doing it, basically. I think his is the issue is that, like you said, with the wins, that's the problem. If Dart's doing this and we're 5-2, and two, which we probably slash should be 5-2, and two. there's enough games that we're quite enough there that we could easily have a winning record. If he's coming out and saying this stuff and we've got a winning record, you're laughing because you're like, well, what are you saying, son? We obviously don't need, you know, you're not you're not playing well. We're winning games. We trust Zach here. He's having a quality year. You know, the team's winning games. I think because we're not winning games, there's people out there that are saying, well, he's got a point, you know. Why are we not playing him more? Why, you know, it's Carlos Dunlap. He needs to get more snaps. How can we justify giving Marcus Hunt, who's coming off the street and hasn't offered a lot at all, more snaps than him. But he's not playing well. So it's a bit of a sort of, you know, vicious circle there. Um, I don't know why the team haven't suspended him. As you sort of alluded to a bit there as to, is it not a finable offence? You can't do that. You can't. You can't be tweeting out pictures of um, defensive game plans and depth charts and... 
it's just bringing the team into disrepute and you can't do it. And like you said, I don't know who's advising him because if it's just a false Mike Brown's hand or whatever you're trying to do for a trade, there's got to be ways to go about it that aren't as damaging. He's built himself up a career here as a fan favourite and quite quickly there's literally guys burning his jersey <laughs> that yeah. was sent to him Slightly harsh, on Instagram. But, yeah. Now, that's obviously a step too far, but why would you tarnish ten, a reputation you've built up over like eight, nine, ten years yeah. as, like you said, not only a man that's a good player, but a man that's very, very good in the community, he engages with fans, you know, you've met him, he's been on this podcast twice, and he's a great laugh, and he's a great guy, and I just... Whatever you think about not being played enough or losing or if you don't like the, the coordinators or the head coach, there's a better way of doing it than this. I just don't think the Bengals are there. I, I don't know. I, it, I'm at a loss with it and I'm really, really saddened by it and, a, and actually really surprised because I never would have thought that you'd see something as outbound as this. The Instagram thing was a joke. I watched that. It was embarrassing. Everyone's, you were everyone. The thing is, he's got a captive audience. Everyone's watching it. Yeah. Players are watching it. Uh, media people are watching it. People are reporting it. It's just a bad look on the team and it really is not what we need right now when we're struggling to win games and and we're, and we're close and we're struggling and it just you don't need this as a sort of nasty distraction on the side. Look, you know, we everyone's got issues with the coaching staff, some people more so than others. I think we've all kind of voiced those opinions. Um, you know, a lot of people out there are, f- are very uh, strongly anti-Zach and think he should be fired at the earliest opportunity. Um, something that Lou is skating on very thin ice at the moment, which I actually tend to agree with. But take all that aside, um, what if, in th- on this occasion, I'm, I'm speaking specifically about Dunlap here, what if, on this occasion, it's not about the coaches, it's about the player himself? What if? And I, I don't think anybody's really framed it like that. What if there is a problem with Carlos here and, you know, he's never been voted team captain, which I think speaks volumes, quite frankly, um, and obviously, he's, again, he's done some great things, but we don't know what goes on in that locker room at all. We've heard whispers about effort. That was something coming out of college that was that was touted. He doesn't give a hundred percent on every snap, and he, you know, he doesn't. I remember reading that about him when he was drafted as well, and that was quite a big concern. I think that was yeah. one of the reasons he slipped into the second round. Um, was it? Th- I think it was a third rounder for Carlos, wasn't it? Um, but saying all that, he's had a fantastic career. You know what I mean? Like, again, this is not, this is not, you know, kind of forgetting or refusing to acknowledge his past achievements with the Bengals and not being thankful for what he's he's given for, to the club and us fans. Lots of memorable moments. But I think you can be. I think you can do all that, but also quite pissed off um, with Carlos. Um, for what he's doing now, and uh, I do wonder, I do wonder whether there's, whether there's more going on in that locker room with Carlos, and has been, you know, reported basically. Um, but I tell you this now: if he's doing all this to try and force Mike Brown's hand at getting a trade, Mike Brown is, you know, you can call him a lot of things, but he's not uh, an easy negotiator. Let's put it that way. Uh, so I do wonder whether there's going to be more fireworks 
to come because if Carlos doesn't get what he wants and Mike digs his heels in, it's like, oh boy, here we go. Yeah, I completely agree. And it is interesting for the Bengals because I was looking at this today in terms of you thinking about the future of the Bengals and how they're going to look. The top three players against the cap this year for the Bengals are AJ Green, Geno Atkins, and then Carlos Dunlap in that order. Mm. And as aging players, and between the three of them, I know Green's had a very, very good last two weeks and he's starting to sort of shake that rust off. But I'd be surprised if any of them were on the team next year. Maybe one of them. So I was looking at the future of the Bengals and thinking about for next season and stuff like that and looking at the biggest cap pits, the top three cap pits, AJ Green, Geno Atkins, Carlos Dunlap, in that order. Older aging veterans that apart from the last two games, AJ just haven't contributed this year, especially when you consider they're making the most money and that you know they're hitting the most against the cap. Now, for Carlos, even more to what we're saying is, yeah, you're paying this geezer the third most on the team. He's earning more than, you know, he's earning like 10 times what Joe Burrow's earning this year. And he's obviously on a big contract that we agreed to pay him not that long ago. So it's even more disappointing because he's not really, he's not in his late 30s or mid 30s. He's still got some, some playing time in him and he's getting paid to be a big contributor on this team. You know, you want to be him to be getting 10 sacks a season. That's got to be his aim. Maybe the odd interception, a strip sack wins you a game. So I think it's even more disappointing when you look at the cap and you just consider how much he's taking up against it. But yeah, I mean, just last point on it, son, what are you reckon is going to, how, how do you think this is going to play out? I mean, we've got the trade deadline coming up very shortly. Do you see him being traded? Do you see him sulking his way to the end of the season or how do you think it's going to shake out? I don't know. I really don't, because there's that. I mean, at the start of the season, uh, we expected Gino to come back and play well, and he got that injury in uh, training camp after looking a million dollars in training camp. It has to be said by all accounts. We expected Carlos to continue his good form into this season, and I do wonder whether that good form last year was. I mean, he'd already, you know, he had a really poor first half. of I mean, really poor first half of last season. First half and a bit yeah. of last season. And I do wonder whether he'd made his mind up then. And then that amazing form he produced in the back end of the season. I do wonder whether that was him putting himself in the shop window. And when nothing happened in the in the off season, he kind of thought, well, sod this, then I ain't going to bother. Um uh, which, um, yeah, which would be fairly amazing if he did that. But I, it was just a thought I had the other day, really, based on nothing. Just you know, because you just the player that we thought you know was most likely to be out of here this season was AJ Green. I don't think yeah. anybody predicted the, as you say, it was such a surprise that Carlos is kind of acting this way. And really, you'd expect if he's trying to engineer a trade. You've got to, I don't know, you've got to try and do it. Because even some of the uh, national media guys are going, oh, looks like, you know, Carlos Dunlap wants to trade. Oh, boy, this is not the way to do it. You know, Albert Breer, Mike Garofalo, guys like that, you know. Um, I just think about it. I just think he's going about it completely the wrong way. Uh, and ultimately, I think just think it's a real shame. Because, as I say, we all think Carlos has been a great player and great with the fans and and for it to end this way because it is going to end. I don't. I genuinely don't think I'd be really surprised if uh, you know if after after yesterday's carry on, 
I'd be really surprised if there's any coming back from this. So it's just a case of whether he's going to be shipped out before the trade deadline next week. Uh, and that needs someone to come in and pay his money. Uh, and also the Bengals to accept, you know, a uh, a pick that they deem to be uh, of, of, of value. Um, and, you know, as we all know, the Bengals sometimes tend to overvalue their players um, or whether they just cut him and just take the hit and just say look you're too toxic for this team at the moment because you had Tyler Boyd coming out last night saying that what was it suck a shit uh, loss which I thought was hilarious and I do want to get a t-shirt with that put on actually I think um, and also uh, Geo coming out and defending Zach and uh, if I don't know if he was trying to kind of rally support in that locker room, I don't know. Just from press conferences and what people are tweeting and all the rest of it, um, it's not working. So I mean, I could go either of you know he could be cut, he could be traded, or he could be kind of you know left to rot. On you know perhaps he's going to be like for instance he'd be put on the NFL equivalent of gardening leave. What about that? What if they just kind of like just don't play him? I don't know. Just don't play him. Yeah. Just tell him to stay. But I completely agree with you. And you have to set the right tone there, don't you, with the leadership element there, that if people are acting like that, you're not giving in to him. Mike Brown, like you said before, a bit of a stubborn negotiator. He's not going to want to make it look like you can do this sort of stuff. Then Carlos Dunlap gets a decent trade to the Cardinals or someone like that, who's a bit of a contender. And all of a sudden, he's knocking over eight, nine, ten sacks down the stretch and they go deep in the playoffs. Because what sort of example does that set to younger players you know you can act like a bit of an idiot for a few weeks and actually you can end up benefiting yourself from it so it's a bit of a tough negotiating standpoint I think for um, the Bengals I think if it was me and again you don't want to be someone that gives in but I just think you've got to ship him out and if you can get if it's a case of even getting a sixth round pick for him or whatever it's better than just letting him rot in the you know on being in a game day inactive or whatever you want to do it just feels like you're not helping anyone there he's just being a bit of a distraction and a negative um influence on the team so yeah i agree I, I and of course you've got you've as got you mentioned them. earlier you've got this incredible young core of talented players you don't want to muck around with that you don't want to muck around with their development i do think having someone like carlos in the locker room might do that um, and you know, there's a whole bunch of new leaders on the on the team now. Geo, Joe Burrow, Trey Hopkins, uh, Josh Bind has been fantastic. Um, you know, in the locker room, and every time he speaks, he commands uh, attention. You know, so there is a changing of the guard here, and it's just a shame that Carlos is playing up because I think if he wanted to get out, I don't think anybody would begrudge him that, and we'd all wish him well. And I still do, you know, I I love the guy, you know, I still wish him well. But um, he could have just kind of, I don't know, done all this behind closed doors, really, and 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 kind of gone to the the coaches and the front office and said, "Look, I want out. I want out. You know, it's my time to go. There's a new regime here. I don't fit in with it. I don't agree with my role here. I'm pissed off. I feel as though I've got a lot more to offer. Uh, get me back to Paulie G in in uh, in Las Vegas. You know, which could happen." Yeah. So, yeah, great shame, really. And we could speak about this all day because, again, lots of people have got lots of different uh, 
uh, opinions and one of those uh, uh, people is Dan Hall. So let's bring in uh, Dan, shall we? And as promised, it's everyone's favourite commentator. He's been on before. He's even done a bit of commentating for us before. Uh, we're not going to put him through that ordeal again this time around. But uh, say hello to Dan Horde. Uh, Dan, welcome back. Oh, good to be back. You don't want me to do a Nathan Palmer play-by-play -play call? No, because if you'd have seen the size of his head after that, <laughs> <laughs> after that bit of commentary that you so brilliantly gave to us, I don't want that to happen again because he was on cloud nine for the next several months after that, I think. Yeah, I don't want to cause any uh, swollen head syndrome, so I guess we'll avoid that. That's a good idea. I will. I will say though. I. I. You obviously uh, co-present the. Uh, well, you present really the, the Bengals Booth podcast, which is one of the best Bengals podcasts out there. It is really, really brilliant. So thank you, to to you and Lap for doing that every week. And I love the little song introductions that you uh, that you do every every episode. And I was trying to think of a song that had welcome back in the, in the in the title or in the lyrics but I couldn't find one so again you're going to get off the hook for that I think this time so they didn't have the TV show welcome back cotter in the UK in the 1970s that was strictly an american thing no i think it was yeah that was one of the yeah. few american shows that didn't quite make it over i think gotcha. would you like to regale us with the with that uh, theme tune i would have sung the theme but since nobody in the audience would appreciate it i guess there's no point exactly next time we'll come up with a little song maybe we can harmonize together the next time that you come that sounds up. good i mean um, the beginning of the beginning of the bengal's booth podcast has essentially become my karaoke <laughs> So the challenge of trying to find an appropriate song title and then belt out a few notes has, you know, it's, it's been fun so far, but I'm worried if I continue to do this podcast twice a week forever, <laughs> that at some point I'm going to run out of songs that I recognize. We'll see. See, you set yourself a bar and it's difficult to keep that bar uh, steady, isn't it? I find that with a podcast, you come up with something new and what you think is is a great idea and then suddenly like kind of maybe six or seven episodes down the line it's like oh my goodness how the how the hell are we going to carry this going you know um that does happen i want to take you back uh dan this time last year where were you is this the week it, it's the it's the day this is the day indeed were we yeah. hanging out at the uh, admiralty on this specific date well, I think we might have been at Wembley on, on the 26th, but we were certainly the day before and the day before that in the Admiralty. Yeah. Um, and what I, I just, uh, after everything that's happened this year, it feels like a lifetime away, but there's been some great interaction on social media, people sharing their photographs of hanging out together. And uh, you must have had a great time. Now, I remember you in Lap, you know, I was lucky enough to come on the radio with you guys, and that was a great privilege. And uh, you'd set up your little kind of broadcasting booth right there for a pre-game show. What do you remember about the weekend? Well, I loved both trips that the Bengals have made to London. It's really been right up there among my favorite experiences as a Bengals broadcaster. I love to travel in general. That's what I like to spend any discretionary income that I have on. I don't drive a fancy car. Um, I don't really have any other great luxuries at home. So when I do spend money, it's generally traveling with my wife and son. And we've been lucky. We've traveled extensively. So I love that trip. 
if it were up to me, the Bengals would be like the Jaguars and play a game in London every year. That won't be, that will never be the case. Uh, but once we get back to having games in London again, as the NFL continues to increase the number, it seems the Bengals are likely to be there every three or four years. And I hope that's the case because I like everything about the trip. I enjoy meeting people like you and hanging out with Bengals fans all over the world, really. It's not just the UK. I remember meeting fans in the hotel last year from South Africa who were Bengals fans that came up for the game. Um, I've been to uh, Premier League soccer matches each of the two times that the Bengals have made the trip over. Leicester City is my team, so that was a thrill oh, to see them wow. in person. Yeah, so uh, I love the trip. I can't wait to come back. Mm. Well, we can't wait to see you back because we. I think for us Bengals fans over here, obviously we go a bit nuts because suddenly the Beng our Bengals are in town, four and a half, five thousand miles away. Normally watching the games on a little laptop screen, normally, and then suddenly everyone's in the same room. The energy is incredible, and uh, no matter win or lose, uh, it's just a fantastic weekend. Speaking of winning and losing, Dan. I need some clarity from you because Bengals fandom, it seems to me, is quite confused at the moment. You've got a lot of anger, a lot of disbelief at what's happening in terms of close losses. Uh, but then you've got some fantastic play from the likes of Joe Burrow. AJ seems to be back. T Higgins. Gio was fantastic yesterday. Joe Mixon in spurts. Even the offensive line was playing better yesterday. I don't know whether I'm coming or going with this team. <laughs> um, and I don't know what to think. Uh, there's a lot of people who want Zach out. They want a lot of people who want um, Lou out. Um, a lot of people think that Zach should be given more time, which is kind of where I am, I think. Um, give us some clarity. Well, how, how sh should we be feeling, Dan? Well, I don't know how you should be feeling, but I'll tell you what's going to happen. They're not going to get rid of Zach or Lou, I wouldn't think, during the course of the season. So let it play out. Mm. See where things end. Bills uh, have a lot of him to be the guy that can take Joe Burrow to the places we would all like to see Joe go. And certainly he has played really well in his first seven games. So that's the big positive so far this year. But if you look at Bengals history, midseason coaching changes have, have not happened very often. And again, I would be shocked beyond belief if that were to happen this year. So let's see how it plays out. I mean, maybe, hopefully, they'll have a tremendous rest of the season and we'll all feel good about the direction that they're going. Uh, but Nobody knows more than an NFL coach that it's a results-based business. And at some point, you've got to win games. So Zach knows that. Luana Rumo knows that. The people that sign their paychecks know that. Um, so let, let's see how things stand at the end of year two. Do you get the sense of being close to the team? Uh, obviously, you are a Bengals employee, I guess, a freelance, I guess. But um, do you get the sense from being close to the team and the club that 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 there is patience there, that they are willing to kind of let this play out and see where they are at the end of the season? Yes, I think so. Uh, it's not an endless well of patience. You've got to win some games. Um, after two wins, I mean, if the Bengals weren't to win again this year, which you know, that's not going to happen, but I'm just saying in the hypothetical, uh, then Zach Taylor would probably be in trouble. But 
I think they want to see legitimate progress more than anything else. And let's face it, this team could be, should be, five and two. They've had the lead five times in the fourth quarter. They should not have lost to the Eagles with a seven-point lead with 21 seconds to go. They have, should not have lost to the Browns with a three-point lead and 66 seconds to go. They should not have lost to the Chargers when I threw a game-winning touchdown pass that got taken off the board with seven seconds to go. So the record is ugly. It should be much better. It is a sign that they're getting closer. Uh, but as they say, and we all know, they've got to finish. The, the, the game is not uh, 48 minutes long. It's 60. Or in the Eagles' case, a little longer than that. So they've got to find a way to, to end the game as well as they play it for about three quarters and five to ten minutes. I was going to ask you, how do they get over this hump? Is it, is it becoming a mental block? Or is it just a case of, you know, we keep hearing it, a, a player stepping up and making a play? How, how, do you, how do you just kind of finish a game? You know, I think if the problem was the same in every finish, then it would be much easier to answer that question. But since the problem seems to change slightly every time around, uh, then it's hard to just say, well, it's this thing. It's not. It's been a wide variety of things. One thing I would say is it would help if you could build a lead as opposed to being in a nail-biter situation where a final drive can cost you the game. So when they've got a chance to put a team away that would go a long way toward avoiding these fourth quarter collapses in the Jacksonville game. When they did win, they built, they got up by a few scores. Now, obviously that happened against the Colts and they did not hold on, but I do think that's part of it. I, I do think when they've got the opportunity to stretch the lead and give themselves some breathing room, mm. they have to be able to do that. And that's something they've not done for the last year and a half. And yet there was, there are signs of progress, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And yesterday, we're recording this on the Monday. Um, Joe Burrow was just fantastic. And uh, I think, you know, you're there every game watching him. It must be, it must be a delight to watch that. It's tremendous. I feel privileged to sit in that seat and be able to describe his games. I hope I get to do that for many years to come. He's on a pace as a rookie to throw for 4,624 yards. That would beat the rookie record held by Andrew Luck by nearly 300 yards. I mean, mm. he has been tremendous. Not perfect. He's made a few costly mistakes, which he's always the first person to point out. And the Baltimore game was the one time where he really looked like a rookie. But by and large, through seven games of his NFL career, there is no doubt whatsoever that the Bengals have their quarterback of the future. Uh, I agree. Uh, it's, it's staggering. I was worried that too much expectation was being placed on his shoulders uh, we've always we've all seen it before with very high draft picks especially quarterbacks are expected to be the savior of a franchise a city even which you know putting that amount of pressure and expectation on a person seems ridiculous to me so i was very wary coming into it but he's yeah i i've, I've really enjoyed seeing him play um dan i have to ask you about the carlos dunlap situation because there's so much chatter uh, among fans, uh, again, it's sort of divided. You know, some people are saying, "Well, it's it's because of this dysfunctional coaching staff, isn't it?" That Carlos is is doing what he's doing. I would argue the opposite. I would argue that there's 
problems there that we don't know about and are unlikely to know about. And some of his stuff has been really, I mean, we all love Carlos for what he's done in for the club and, and, and the city and his off the field work and his, his foundation work and his Walter Pay- Payton man of the year stuff. He's had a great career in Cincinnati. So to see him do what he's doing is really upsetting to some people. And I, I, it's, I yeah, it's upsetting to me. I don't get it, Paul. I do not get it because what's happening. What's happening? What, yeah, is, I mean, is it, the, who's advising him for a start? <laughs> I, nobody. I, I can't imagine anybody is giving him this advice unless, I don't know, maybe it's an agent or somebody that's saying, hey, burn every bridge to force their hand to get you out of town. I mean, that seems to be what he's trying to do right now, uh, which I don't understand. And mm. for people to think that the coaches don't want Carlos Dunlap out there playing at a Pro Bowl level like he has in the past is just idiotic. Their jobs depend on people like Carlos Dunlap playing well. Mm. And he hasn't been playing well. He's been completely ineffective in run-stopping situations and only marginally effective. That's actually probably a kind word in pass-rushing situations, which has always been his strength. If Carlos Dunlap were to go out there and just bust his tail and try to be the best player he can still be at this stage of his career, there might be a market for him to be traded to another team. But if you're another NFL GM and you turn on the tape and you find a guy making a ton of money who's not playing very well, and then you look at his Instagram and Twitter feeds and see that he's totally trying to tear down his organization, why would you want that guy? I, I can't imagine a scenario right now where another team would. It seems very counterintuitive, really, I think. It's like he's actually damaging his ch- – if he, if he desperately wants to get out of Cincinnati, which is plainly clear to see, for everyone to see, he's, he's going about it the wrong way. Because, as you say, a potential future team will look at his conduct and think, hmm, not sure we want that kind of guy on our team. Um, well, how do you, I mean? How do you see it playing out? We're we're very we're fast approaching the trade deadline. Um, would you cut him? Because I, I think that the longer that you leave someone like Carlos, who's kind of affecting the locker room with his antics and his carry on, um, that's going to be bad going forward. Would you try and get a trade for him? Would you cut him now? Would you wait till the end of the season? Because it's it's obvious that. He's going to be on his way at some point, I think. I would try to trade him if it were me. Again, I don't know if there's a market anymore based on his play and based on his behavior. If I could get something for him, yes, I would trade him. Um, I don't know that I would cut him, though. I know a lot of people say, oh, he's a cancer. Just get rid of him. He's dragging down the rest of the team. You set a dangerous precedent when a player behaves like that, conduct detrimental to the team, and you reward them for it. That's why other teams generally don't do that. Now, I don't know what recourse the Bengals have right now in terms of punishing him, fining him, suspending him. I I honestly don't know the answer to that question. There are conduct detrimental 
provisions in the agreement between the owners and the players. So perhaps they can use that to find him and, or punish him in some way. Again, I, I'm not exactly sure what their uh, mm. ability to do that is based on what he's done so far. I don't know if that fits the definition of conduct detrimental to the team based on the agreement between the players and the owners. Uh, but certainly, uh, if they can do that, I believe they should. I don't think I've ever seen a situation like this. Yes, we remember the Carson Palmer situation and to a lesser extent, Cordy Glenn. But I don't think I've ever seen an incident like this with a player who's so determined to butt heads with his coaches. You know, with Carson, I think I mentioned earlier in the podcast, it was a case of him versus Mike Brown. It wasn't necessarily with Marvin and the coaches, but this is squarely with the coaches, isn't it? And at least in Carson's case, I didn't agree with what he did, but at least he didn't stick around and try to drag everybody else down. Mm. He left um, and, and just said, I, I don't want to play here anymore. In Carlos's case, he's lost the goodwill of most of his teammates. I think he's quickly losing it in a community that has loved him and treated him well. Certainly, he's been well rewarded by the Bengals for his play. He's gotten two contracts. Uh, he, he's on the books for another $11 million next year, which if he just played hard and uh, continued to be the good citizen that he was in the past, I'm sure they would have kept him. Uh, mm -hmm. Now there's, I, I can't imagine a situation where that'll be the case. So, I mean, I guess $11 million doesn't mean as much to him as it would to uh, you or me. But I can tell you this, if I knew I could still make another 11 mil doing something next year, I'd be trying my hardest to, to guarantee that I could still make that money. Okay, Dan, well, let's, let's end this on a positive note. Uh, well, actually, no, I'm going to go back and ask you, how, how do you think it got to this stage then? Or why do you think it got to this stage? I think Carlos has not been a particularly good player except when it's third and long and he's going after the quarterback for some time now uh, his stopping the run was never his strength but it's become a bigger weakness and i think this coaching staff has called him on it and they butted heads about it and carlos finally decided that uh i don't know if he didn't agree with it or he was tired of being reprimanded for it but he just decided that uh it wasn't for him so I really think that's the root of it. I, again, I put the blame on him. Mm. I think what he's done is, is very selfish, and uh, it's been disappointing because up until this point, I've really liked the guy. Mm. I think uh, that goes to most Bengals fans, really. Um, we'll let you go in a sec, Dan. Um, there is still a lot to be excited about this team, right? Are you, have you been impressed by the young Cool. We mentioned Joe T. Higgins is having a terrific rookie season, really growing into the NFL nicely. Jesse Bates looks absolutely uh, an absolute superstar. Um, you've got a linebacking core that finally is it looks kind of you know potentially very good. There's Logan Wilson's been really good actually, and um, there's a, there's a good young core here, isn't there? Yeah, let's add Jonah Williams to that list. I think Jonah was really starting to play well over the past several weeks. I think he was up into the top 20 in the pro football focus rankings of tackles. So uh, that's very encouraging. Yeah, there's a good nucleus here. And it's unfortunate they, they spend all of this money in free agency in the offseason, something that 
they have not historically done, as we all know. And, you know, the, the two guys that they spent the most on are not playing. DJ mm-hmm. Reader is out for the rest of the year. Trey Waynes hasn't played yet. I imagine uh, some of these fourth quarter collapses wouldn't have happened if those guys were on the field. And injuries happen to everybody in football, but it's more damaging to some teams than the other. And when you make those two guys two of the highest paid players on the roster and you can't get anything out of them, that's very damaging. Mm. But the good news is they were both signed uh, basically to their second contract in Bengals uniform. So they have plenty of healthy years left, hopefully. Mm. Uh, They're both, you know, mid to late 20s. So it's not like these are guys that uh, that injury is probably going to be the end of DJ Reader or Trey Waynes. Mm. I Mm. think they're going to uh, give the Bengals some productive years to come. Well, let's hope so. Let's hope they get at least three or four and another three or four wins this season, which is eminently possible when you look at the games that is coming up up after the Pittsburgh game, I think. Uh, Dan, it's always a great pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much for the time. And hopefully we can speak again soon. Appreciate the invitation, Paul. Keep up the good work. Thanks for having me on. There we go. What a lovely man. What a lovely bloke. Um, And um, what a great... A true gentleman. A true gent. And... uh, uh, you know, full disclosure, we are recording this podcast before we did Dan, um, uh, recorded Dan's interview. So he might not have been a good bloke or uh, a top gent <laughs> at all. Uh, however, um, having spoken to him several times before, I don't think there's any danger of him not being a good bloke. And we do appreciate the time. And no doubt he said some really interesting things, but we don't know yet because, uh, yeah, it's all kind of weird time-wise in this episode however let's can i can i say one more thing son this is not on the dunlap thing but it's a i want to add some positivity in here and uh, hopefully maybe dan talked about it so it's relevant yeah the one thing that excites me as a fan and i think for all bengals fans we should be excited about it and it segues on from the dunlap discussion this thing with dunlap kind of does just signify the transition here from the old Marvin era of players with Green, Dunlap, and people like Geno Atkins, who are very unlikely to be here next season, to this new sort of nucleus of players. And if they're not on the roster next year, there's a ton of salary cap the Bengals have got that they can put into people that the front office want. And if Zach is still here, so say they give Zach a third year, which I reckon at the moment is probably 60% likely that they will, whether I think they should or not is another discussion, but I reckon they probably will. Zach's massively, massively about building this culture and signing leaders and bringing in people that are nice guys like Josh Bynes, a clever lad, and um, some other leaders that were captains of their team in college. So, if they've got money to play with again, the Bengals, and they know they've got this window with Joe Burrow, and they know they've got all this money from not paying the franchise tag to AJ, not having to pay Carlos, not having to pay Gino, there's some seriously exciting decisions to be made there because who are you giving the money to? The Bengals, I think, I look next year with those contracts gone, would have top 10 amount of cap space available. So to build behind the young lad in Joe Burrow, it's quite exciting because there's some good young players developing with obviously either side of the ball. So... With talking about Dunlap for the Bengals, it, it, we've got to see the positive side that actually it might be a good thing that we can't rely on these ageing veterans much longer. And in hindsight, the only thing I guess you would say is it might not have been the right decision for all three from a contractual perspective yeah. to sort of keep going with them. But 
I don't know if the Bengals have still got the sort of fear of like what happened with Andrew Whitworth. They go elsewhere in a Pro Bowls for the next five to seven years. But sometimes but... you've got to roll that dice, you know. And exactly. as fans, you're yeah. always going to say, oh, why don't we keep him? Why didn't we do that? Why didn't we do this? I mean, you've got to make a decision and uh, for better or for worse, really. And um, I don't know. I agree. And Michael Smith agrees as well as we get into our correspondence at solid underscore handle. Solid handle. Let's remain positive, Mike says. Burrow is legit and the offensive line stepped up after injuries took their toll. When the line is upgraded, a high first and second round draft picks boost the D. This team is going places. Is Joe Burrow favourite for rookie of the year? Um, See, I don't think they're that far away. I really don't. Um, They've had some terrible luck. Uh, The coaching has been average. And but you can see it getting better on the offensive side of things. They've got some really nice pieces. If they can get a couple of pass rushers, you know, I really like the linebackers. I think they've done a good job. Uh, William Jackson's played much better, and I'd certainly give him a new contract next year, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, I agree. You know, there's a lot to like, but again, people want to see wins. People want to see wins. Not None of this nonsense about losing by three points in the last minute of every game. Um, so that needs to happen. As for Rookie of the Year, it's, it's between him and Justin Herbert, isn't it, really, let's face it. But I think statistically, Joe Burrow's on course to smash Andrew Luck's yards passed in a rookie season by, by three, 400 yards, I think I saw today. So you'd expect <clears throat> Joe to be right up there. I mean, Herbert looks great. Edwards Hilaire looks great for Kansas City. He's second in the NFL rushing yards uh, list at the moment um you know who else looks uh, really good offensively justin jefferson's been excellent justin jefferson's been great i mean t- our own t higgins has been great uh you know there's a there's a whole bunch of people out there that looks good uh, you can see why when the Bengals coached Justin Herbert at the Senior Bowl, there was a couple of people talking about, well, maybe the Bengals will take him. I think Paul Alexander on Twitter was saying, oh, you know, or you think it's going to be Joe Burrow, but don't rule out Justin Herbert. And everyone was like, you've got to be joking. And, you know, Andrew Dockerell is a big uh, Oregon fan. I know he rates Herbert, but he was like, look, the clear pick here is Burrow. And I think yeah. people have been really surprised at just how good Herbert's been. A lot of people saying, well, this wasn't the guy we saw at Oregon. He had quite a few flaws, but both quarterbacks are exceptional. And I think for both the Chargers and the Bengals going forward, they've got an exciting future. Yeah, and we've got Tua waiting in the wings to see what he's all about as well down in Miami. Um, Absolutely. Nigel Granger at Fleet underscore risk. Burrow is the real deal, and losing three O-linemen in one game is shit. But to score as many points as we do and still lose is ridiculous. When we went in front at the end of the fourth, I still expected us to lose. Why can't we win? We get so close. Um, I think it's a mixture of coaching and personnel, if I'm being quite honest with you, uh, Nigel. That's my quick, uh, quick fire uh, answer. But we've sort of discussed that a little bit, haven't we? Um, uh, Shaquille Ida Tally at Shaquille underscore AFC. Hello, Shaquille. What do you think the future holds for Dunlap after the sideline moment and those tweets yesterday? Surely that that's doors for him, right? I think we just discussed that, Shaquille. Um, uh, it'd be interesting to see what you think about that. Neil uh, Nathvani at Neil Nathvani. 
Of the nine games left this year, it would be fair to say that five should be targeted as more winnable games than others. The three games against NFC East's teams, the Dolphins and the Texans. How many of those games would Zach need to win to buy him another year? And Neil makes a really good point because we could well end up going 1-7-1 and uh, by the time we play this, after we play the Steelers. I'm not expecting this to beat the Titans this weekend, and I'm not expecting this to beat the Steelers. We could end up being 1-7-1. However, if we win 3-4, we could end up being something like 5-7-1, and which would be much more palatable. Uh, and I think we said this at the start, you've just got to, you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint, you know. I don't think we're expected to win these games. Um, however... It's, it's going to be uproar if we don't beat Washington or the Giants or, you know, if we go, you know, Dolphins is winnable. The Texans, the way they're playing at the moment, that's winnable as well. Um, I don't know. Dallas is winnable. Dallas is winnable. They're having a nightmare this year. Yeah, I I strongly think that Zach Taylor's got to win at least five games for me. With the tie, five and a half games, I think you give him another season. I think four, it'd be a real toss of the coin. I think this team is a lot better than a four-win team. Um, it's about progress as well. We said that at the start of the season. It's like, are we seeing the progress? Are we seeing the, the players progressing? Do, is the team looking good, etc.? It's not just about the wins, but obviously the wins at the end of the day are what get you places. I think it's tough as well because Joe Burrow's so good. I'll just say it. He is. And I think that you've got way up. Why are we? Why are we better? Is it just Joe Burrow? How much of a co- influence is the coaching on that? Because Joe Burrow is going to make a lot of head coaches look good. He's going to make a lot of coaches look good, offensive coordinators and stuff, because he is that talented. And I guess that's the key, isn't it? It's like how much value are we getting from the coaching staff? Is it? Are they making Burrow better? Are they making up the defence better? Are they making special teams better? Because that's what it's got to be viewed at rather than, I guess, just wins. Because obviously, we have got a lot of talent on this team. And that's why I think if we don't win more than four games, you have to look at the bigger picture here and say, look, this team, from a talent perspective, it might not pull up any trees and win the Super Bowl. But I think this team, on a good day with some good coaching and some bit of luck, I think they could go could have gone nine and seven this year. That's how much talent I actually do think is on the team. So mm. it's going to be a really interesting evaluation for Zach. I think he's got what nine games left or something yeah. like that between now and the end of the season. I think it's going to be really really interesting to see where we get to at the end of the season. But guys, listeners, be prepared to be one seven and one. Honestly, be prepared for that. <laughs> The winnable games come afterwards. So at the end of the season, uh, then's the time to really look at how we did. Uh, So lots of fun to come. Right, let's take a break from all these fantastic questions, which, again, we can't thank you enough for. We're at whoday underscore UK on Twitter and Bengals UK on Facebook if you'd like to get in touch. Um, But let's play. Let's have a little mini episode of First and Ten. It's another good one, so strap yourselves in. Right, and joining us now direct from Sheffield is, well, you'd probably know him if you uh, are a regular listener to the podcast and regular reader of things. It's a uh, uh, frequent contributor to the Bengals UK cause. It's Sam Anger. Sam, hello. Hello, Paul. What's happening? I'm good. I've got the questions ready. Are you ready more to the point? I'm not ready, but yeah. 
I'm nervous, but let's go. Well, uh, okay, Sam, let's play first and ten. Right, as you know, the rules are you start off at your own 20, you've got 12 questions to score a touchdown. Uh, you can choose an easy question, which will move you five yards, an intermediate question, which will move you 10 yards, and then a really hard question, which will score you a touchdown from anywhere on the field. So, Sam Ainger, what's it going to be to start with? I'm going to go... I'm going to go... John Ross, end around. I'm going to go five yards. <laughs> okay. It's a bit optimistic for John Ross, I'd say. But anyway. <laughs> I thought so as well. Yeah. Okay. First down, question one. Who plays Alan Partridge? Oh, it's, uh, I've got a brain blank. Um... Oh my god, why have I got a brain blank? Uh, why have I forgot his name? You can see I'm not Googling. <laughs> Listener, why, Sam is currently is holding on? his face. Oh my god. I've got a blank. Push you for an answer. I've lost it. I'm thinking of Alan Partridge as Alan Partridge. Um, <laughs> Oh my God! Just, just, yeah. Skip. I'm gonna have to lose five yards. Oh my it God! Is I'll Steve, come back to that. I'm it is Steve Coogan. That. Steve Coogan. Why? Why have I done that? <laughs> okay, Let's what go are you gonna five go yards again? Second. All right. Another easy question. Second down. Question two. What is Britain's busiest airport? Heathrow. Correct. Well done. Third and five from the 25. Question three, what are you going to go for? Intermediate. Oh, he's going for it on third down, I like it. What is the most sold flavour of Walker's crisps? Is it salt and vinegar or cheese and onion? Salt and vinegar. Incorrect. It is Jones. cheese and onion. It is fourth and five from the 25. What are you going to go five. for? An easy one? Five yards, five yards. Okay. What alcoholic drink? You should get this one. What alcoholic drink do you normally find in a Bloody Mary? I don't know this. This is the. Um, <laughs> oh, I don't know no! This. I don't know this. I don't drink. I just don't drink things like. Um, what do you think? It's yeah. a clear... I'm going to help you out here. It's a clear spirit. Vodka. Correct. And a first down. Oh, I thought you wanted me to name every single... Right, okay. All right. <laughs> first down and ten from your own 30. You're on question five. What's it going to be? I'm going to go five again. Okay. In which U.S. state is the city of Nashville? Tennessee. Correct. Second and five from the 35. This is question six, Sam. 
I'll go five again. Okay. Who won 2019's Sports Personality of the Year? Oh, God. That's not that easy, Paul. It's only last year, man. I know. And it's your sport as well. Oh, God. Uh, I'm going to go Ben Stokes. Correct, in a first down. Right, we're on to question seven at your own 40. You're starting to pick up a bit of momentum going, I like it. I like it. What's I'm going, it going to be? I'm, going, I'm just... I just can't believe I didn't get Steve Coogan. That's just embarrassing. Um, <laughs> Put it behind you, mate. You're on the move let's now. Let's go intermediate. Let's go Dalton to Ivor. Oh, hello. All right. Which colour pill does Neo swallow in the Matrix? Blue. No, he doesn't. It's red. God's sake. Second and 10 in the 40s is question 8, Sam. Intermediate. Where does Gouda cheese originate from? Italy. Incorrect. It's Holland. Third down and 10 from your 40. Give me a 5. Give me a 5. Oh, I see. I see. I can see what you're doing. Uh, right. Which soft drink do you associate with Scotland? Uh, Iron Brew. Correct. Fourth down and five. This is question ten, Sam. Good God. I'm going to have to go. I would. What yard am I on? Uh, you're on the 45, your own 45. Oh God, I'm going to have to go deep, aren't I? No, you've got a couple of questions left. Go intermediate. Oh really, he's going intermediate. Right. I want that touchdown. I can't get it, can I? No, you can. Can still get it? Yeah. Okay. Why did I, Steve, why did I do that on Steve Coogan? Oh my, I just had a complete blank. <laughs> oh. What is longer? A nautical mile or a mile? Oh, I've heard this before. Ugh. Nautical mile. Correct. That takes you up to into opposition territory. You've got two questions to score a touchdown. And you know what this means, Sam. Go on. It means that you're going to have to go big. You've got two shots at this. I'll go big. I'll go big. I don't mind. If I fail, I'll fail. I'm good. Okay. Right. Which country in the world is believed to have the most miles of motorway? It's a good question. That is a good question. Most miles of motorway. Oh, I'm gonna. S oh. I'll say China. Oh my God, he's only gone and scored a touchdown. Joking. On the Forty-five yard line. He's oh done Lord. it. He's Sam Anger. I've done it. He's done it. <laughs> Sam Anger.
You score a touchdown. It wasn't quite do or die like last week with Ken Davies, but you score on your penultimate question. The answer that was... That was a complete pun. China. It was China. And you wow. score. Congratulations, man. Thank you very much. Oh, I can that see you physically... Just a, that was just a shot in the dark, but yeah, I'll take that. Physically, you look physically and emotionally drained, Sam, I must say. I really am. You really did. <laughs> That's what you've really done to me. <laughs> well, you did put your hand up and uh, you did it. I'm not quite sure how you did it, but you did it, my friend. Well done. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me, Paul. You're wow. very welcome. We'll speak to you soon. Cheers, Paul. Thank you. Well, there you go. Sam Anger scoring a touchdown. It was dicey for a while. What an emotional episode. Sam poured every sinew and and, and, and drop of, of, of courage and emotion into that, and it paid off. So well done, Sam. Top geezer, Sam is. I can't wait until we can all get together again and he can finally settle his bet. That I won with him. <laughs> Bless him. I ain't forgot my son. Yeah, well, uh, maybe the lockdown is quite good for his wallet on that occasion, <laughs> if nothing else. Uh, well done, Sam. Um, Jamie at Trek White Beast, what constitutes half a bathroom? That's in reference to Carlos Dunlap's tweet. It apparently put he had four and a half bathrooms. Um, maybe that's just like a downstairs Kazi, and uh, that counts as half a bathroom or not, or just a B-day in the corner of a room. I don't know. I'm not. Uh, Americans have obviously got different ways of classifying their homes. Logie B513 at Logie513. Um, as bad as the defence was yesterday, am I crazy in thinking that the linebackers are actually a really encouraging young group? Uh, I don't think you are crazy, Logie. I uh, mentioned earlier, I've been really impressed with Logan uh, Wilson. I th- think he's been really good, uh, generally speaking. Uh, ADG has made some plays. I'd actually like to see AD, ADG Blitz uh, be part of the pressure packages a bit more. I think he could do some damage. Um, so, yeah, no, I don't think you're crazy. What about you, Nathan? You've been happy. It makes a difference. You can see when the defence is playing well, it makes a difference when you've got some linebackers who can move around a bit. I think Logan Wilson's been excellent as a rookie. He's been really impressive. Davis Gaither, our jury's still out a bit. I think he's looked good in patches. He's looked a bit out, a bit out of place in some places. Um, the one player that I've been a little bit disappointed with is Jermaine Pratt. I thought this was his year, like going into his third year, um, that he'd really sort of start to kick on a bit. Because he showed some real promise last year towards the end of the season and I thought this was his year a bit like Jesse Bates to sort of take that step and really sort of take the, the game by the scruff of the neck lead those rookies a bit with his extra year or two of experience but I'm not saying he's been bad he just hasn't stood out really I can't remember him making a big play I can't remember him being around the ball much he's just sort of plodding along and I think that he was one of the guys I'd really sort of pegged having a good year so overall I think Logie's right. They're young lads. Um, we still haven't seen what we've got in Marcus Bailey yet. Hopefully he gets a chance at some stage. But, yeah, I love the fact they're getting experience. That's the best thing, is they're on the field, they're learning, they're earning their stripes. Going into next year, they'll have that extra experience, which is what they need. So that's the positive for me, is that we're throwing them out there, throwing them in the deep end as rookies. They weren't first-round picks. 
the, you know, their later round picks. So to get them that early experience, which where they don't normally around the league tend to get that if you draft in sort of third, fourth, fifth round, um, you're not normally thrown in as a starter this early in the season. But I'm glad the Bengals have given them a chance and we can really see what we've got next year. And whisper it, the top three picks in uh, draft from last year might actually all be winners, which is unusual for the Bengals, I think. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. VB, because John Ross is probably going to be on his way pretty soon as well. Let's not forget him. VB at Von Blade. Um, our OL is terrible, so the run game is terrible, so the clock management is terrible, so they had enough time to come back. But lately, the D is the one giving up games. I think you're quite right uh, then, uh, VB. Ross at Burrow to AJ. Uh, Offence can hold head up high, but the D was pathetic, made Baker look like peak Tom Brady. How much of it is coaching or is it personnel? Answers on a postcard. You know, Baker Mayfield was the first pick in the draft, and yes, he's been very inconsistent, and I dislike uh, the man intensely, but sometimes you've got to take, your, you know, the guy's got talent when he's got time, and I think that's the key. And that's what was the key last week as well, when we made Rivers look like a younger version of himself. Do you know what I mean? Any quarterback out there, any type of receiver, uh, is going to pick apart a defence and catch balls if there's no pressure, basically. Um, so I do think it's I do think it's a bit of both, actually, coaching and personnel. Um Uh, Killian at Malloy underscore double zero. Looking at the stats, six receivers had 50 plus yards. I'm not sure if that's on Burrow or a stacked receiving core, but that's one positive that stuck out to me. No catches for Auden Tate. With so much depth at wide receiver, wonder is he out of favour? He is surely another weapon we could use. Killian, I think you just mentioned there, there's just so much depth at wide receiver and I don't think it's a bad thing. It's a shame for Auden, but... Are you going to play him instead of T. Higgins at the moment? I don't think you are. Uh, are you going to play him instead of AJ at the moment? No. Um, I think Auden's, you know, again, another fan favourite, but he is where he is in the depth chart, and it's unfortunate, but, you know, our top three guys, you know, AJ, uh, Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins are playing really well at the moment. So, um, I don't know. It's difficult for Auden to get John in. Ross, if you had John Ross fulfilling his potential playing like we know that he can and he got his head right this year and he was playing not like he did in that seattle game just lights out electric speed those four receivers would probably be better than any other four receiver depth in the league that's how good i think they are t higgins excellent aj green is starting to play like the aj green we know still hasn't got the same level of speed but his hands are phenomenal he's he's got his experience um, and he's looked a lot better the last two uh, two weeks. And then Boyd's just phenomenal, so consistent, great hands, great route runner, yeah, just consistently putting up numbers. And if you had that speed with Ross on the outside, someone like the Burrow knows can just burn people down the sides and can sort of stretch out a defence a bit more. I mean, God, that is a phenomenal um, set of receivers to have. But yeah, yeah I wonder. Very, I wonder. I wonder group. if there's very good... encouraging. Yeah, sorry, Nathan. Yeah, again, I'd, I'd say look for a, a speedster in the draft next year, sort of rounds three, four, something like that. You know, you never know. Um, Ryan at RyRy69. Um, 
Taylor has shown. Oh, Solly, I think it's the first time caller as well. Taylor has shown he deserves a spot as coach on this team, be it head coach or OC. The Bengals have looked dangerous. Clearly, D is an issue. Is it the coaches, players, or both? Who goes and who comes in? I think we've discussed that quite a lot, Ryan, but I think that is the question that a lot of people are asking. Is it the coaches? Is it the players? And sometimes it can be a bit of both, and I do think it's a bit of both. Um, Matt Gibbs at Wakey Ram. One minute and six seconds and just knew that was too much time. Defence was shocking. Keep thinking Lawson's penalty was huge in retrospect. Enjoyed it, but bloody hell, it's frustrating. I think that echoes everything uh, everyone feels, Matt. And I agree. That uh, neutral zone infraction on third down was it, that, that was committed by Carl Lawson. That was one of the key moments in the game. I think that was unforgivable by Carl, I think. Yeah, I think for the Bengals' defence, when we scored yesterday with Gio, I was absolutely buzzing. I was like, this is going to be a really good win for us. I really didn't think they, with a minute, and no timeouts would have enough in it. I didn't think they'd be able to do it. It's so difficult because if you're clocking the ball at any point in the middle of the field, so you're going down, no timeouts, you've got to run up, you've got to waste all that time, you've got to spike it, which means you lose it down. I thought they might get a field goal. I thought we were going to see one of those like Bengals-Browns games of old, which was like 57-44 or whatever that crazy game was. And I thought it was going to go into overtime and just continue the shootout, but I absolutely did not expect them to go the length of the field. And... There's got to be some questions asked there as to how you allow that to happen with no timeouts and a minute to go. Ken Davis at Ken Davis. Uh, Strangely, after another defeat, I feel this result eased the pressure on Zach. But how do we get pressure on the opposing QB as this seems to be the key to stopping good QBs slicing through us all? Also, from what we've seen so far, what positions would you draft in the top five picks? Too early to talk about the draft, but I think I mentioned a wide receiver. We need pass rush help. We need a bit of OL help. Uh, cornerback, depending on what happens with William Jackson. Um, all good points, though. And um, Memphis Soul Stew at Stuart Bears, 688. Do you think we lose in the bye week? Um, <laughs> I can see what you say. Uh, Duncan Yeadon at Slam Dunk the Funk. Solid handle. It's nearly Christmas. Tis the season to be jolly. Tra-la-la-la-la. You get the Bengals one present this year, what would it be? I think a massive, unstoppable pass rusher. That's what I would give the Bengals right now. That's what they need the most. Someone who just obliterate people. I I would probably agree with you, but I'd also be tempted by the O-line. I, I wouldn't let two good weeks completely cloud that I think if we could get a really really good guard plugged in young lad massive brick wall to really open up some running lanes for Joe Mixon and Gio Bernard and obviously make sure that Burrow's not getting pressure up the middle I think that'll go a long way because Jonah Williams is going to be a very good player I really hope his injury net yesterday is not too serious um Trey Hopkins is solid. Michael Jordan has made progress. He's young, so you hope he can continue. And God help us, Bobby Hart is playing well at the moment. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting. You've obviously got Sua Filo as well, who could be a nice depth piece, depending on how he ends up working out. But I think it's got to be 
it's got to be either side in the trenches, isn't it? If, if you could get a fantastic pass rusher, like a young Carlos Dunlap or someone like that to really get after the quarterback, it would also be uh, a welcome gift. Indeedy. Carter's sports cards and edits at Sad Bengals Teen. That's a solid name. Solid name, solid handle, I'd say. Uh, First time caller, I think, Carter's sports cards and edits. Uh, I think we need to be more patient on some things, like the O-line that's been a problem for years that we need to continue to make clear. But Zach Taylor has so little to work with, he needs time. Burrow needs time. We just need to stay patient. Oh, there you go. And finally, Bianca Verde at Bianca Verde. Solid handle. One word. Unity. Um, well, there you go. There's lots of discussion. Um, well, what's happened with all these Bengals fans? Like, it's like we've won. Oh, did we? I no, mean, there's plenty. Weird, there's plenty. I, I feel weirdly positive today. You seem very positive, son. The correspondence is positive. The well, Twitter poll about whether Zach should go improved this week, and we've just <clears> had a crushing last-second loss to our rival. It's weird, isn't it? It is weird, and I don't think you know the coaches escape scrutiny here because I think as I say they are skating on thin ice some more so than others but I do think things are starting to click on offense and you talk about wanting to see progression I'm seeing progression on offense so yeah you know and I yes it's difficult with the wins and losses you have to be all about the long game here I don't think things are going to be turned around you know the, the team was a poor team for a couple of years before Zach got here and um no, he's he's made plenty of mistakes, and have I agreed with everything absol- that he's done? Absolutely not. But I think he needs a little bit more time. I'm I'm going to be really interested to see what the record is at the end of the season. Um, we could have a new guard by the end of this week. Quinton Spain is the, the ex Buffalo guard. Solid handle. Like, this is what I say the other day. <laughs> Some of these names, Quinton Spain. That's a solid handle. That is, isn't it, Sam? It is, yeah, and I almost want him to join the team just for the name, really, I think. And, Great uh, one on the back of your jersey, Spain. I know, yeah. Um, and who knows? And of course, you know what I mean? We we were... Do you know what we were doing this time last year, Nathan? Go on. We were, well, not perhaps exactly... Yeah, we were on the 26th, I believe. We were at Wembley watching the Bengals. We were shouting... Uh, the team on and had absolutely exhausted from a weekend in the Admiralty and uh, that seems like a very long time ago now after everything that's happened this year doesn't it but that's that's the thing that's keeping me going this fantastic community that we've got and um can, can you imagine the Admiralty's year-on-year profit differentials between last weekend and last year when the place was about 500 people strong absolutely cleaning it out of various alcoholic beverages versus this year tier two covid probably like everyone socially distanced i reckon bless them they're probably 95 percent down <laughs> i mean can you imagine the profit differential from the weekend with the bengals fans and the next weekend with no bengals fans at all well, I mean, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah lots of fantastic um pictures being shared on social media uh of people that came over to from the states to the admiralty remembering that weekend, loads of friendly faces that we miss. Uh, you know, Martin Greer, Steve Williams, uh, Jim Foster's there. Obviously, Jeremy Bengals captain's there, and Jess. Happy birthday 
for yesterday, Jess. Um, Happy it, birthday. I said it once and I'll say it again. Whatever happens on the field, uh, it's good to know that, uh, you know, we've made friends uh, for life through this whole thing. It's crazy, isn't it? But um, I am positive about the future, but it'd be nice to get a few wins this season. I don't think we're going to get it against Tennessee this week, and I don't think we're going to get one against Pittsburgh. But, you know, if you're talking about the Giants, Washington, Miami, Dallas, you know, there's some winnable games there. So let's hope um, they keep going. You never know. They might spring an upset against uh, Tennessee this week. But, you know. I am calling a win against the Titans this week. Wow. Okay. I'm calling a win. I'm laying my hand down. I think I think we might nick it. Ryan Tannehill's okay. not playing as well recently. The only worry is, can that defensive line stop Derek Henry? That's the obvious concern. But if that offense can play like he did the other day, or even 75% of that, and would knock up 28 points, I don't... Ryan Tannehill, I think we could potentially slow him down a bit. Mm, um, interesting. I've just got a feeling. Like, we, we need to get going at some point. We need to win a close game. We need to beat a good team. And I think we're at home... The bookies are only making them four and a half point favourites, which shows they think it's quite close. So I think we can do it. I really, I've got a feeling that we might nick it. And we're not going to do that. I'd be absolutely flabbergasted if we went into Pittsburgh and took down the Steelers the week after. But I do think we've got a really good chance in this game against the Times, better than a lot of people will think. Well, it's been a long one tonight. A big thank you to Dan Horde once again for joining us. I hope you enjoyed having Dan on. A uh, big thank you to Sam Anger, who played first and ten. Uh, again, a fantastic little episode there. We've only got one more week of first and ten, you'll probably be happy to know. We'll be back on Sunday with our online tailgate, uh, which uh, which proved to be a success, I think, and everybody's been enjoying that, so do tune in. And, of course, we'll be back next week with another episode of Cincinnati. So until that time, it's a who day from me. And a who day from me. Cheers, guys. And it should also be noted that the views and opinions expressed within this podcast do not reflect those of the Cincinnati Bengals organisation.